The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers and why this year will be different than last year as the NFC runs through Lambeau for the second straight year. We're going to also do star ratings from Packers Vikings. Who played the best? Who didn't? There's not a lot of who didn'ts there. We will also chat about the NBA. We'll do some bucks. We'll do some fun facts about that team. We'll also look ahead to this week and maybe a little bit on the Bulls and if we take them seriously. Lastly, my advice for Shaka Smart, as Marquette had another tough loss, I do think I can fix it and I'm here to help at the end of the show. Before we talk about the Green Bay Packers, just want to remind you, on social media everywhere, tapping the keg on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, tapping the keg on Twitter, also, rate, review, subscribe, do that. Apple, Spotify, anywhere else, doesn't matter. Appreciate all the support. Please tell your friends. Please get out the word. We'd love for you guys to share stuff on Instagram, t- Twitter, whatever it may be. I might have to start begging for it a little bit. Uh, get you guys in the right direction. We'll see. Maybe I'll come up with some sort of prize with reviews uh, when I get back from Hawaii. I will do some soul searching and figure out for with that. Let's not spend any more time talking about that, though. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers and why this year will be different. The Green Bay Packers have the number one seed for the second straight year. The Green Bay Packers asserted their dominance against the Minnesota Vikings. This is not a game that I think any of us thought the Packers could lose, but with the issues the Packers have had stopping the run, it was a real concern that Dalvin Cook goes nuts and the Minnesota Vikings somehow find a way to win. But in reality, most Packer fans were able to go to bed pretty early and start their new year off on the right foot. Green Bay looks like a juggernaut. Green Bay has looked like the best team in football for the last few weeks. I realize that there are people who say, well, they struggle against Baltimore. They struggle against Cleveland. Those are people who weren't really watching the game and just seeing the box scores. Because Green Bay did dominate those games. They just played way too conservatively down the stretch. Conservatively enough that you would have thought Ted Cruz was calling plays and not Matt LaFleur. Green Bay didn't do any of that. The gas was on the pedal all game long and Green Bay made sure Minnesota was dead in the ground. Even though Sean Mannion did not have one interception, which is amazing, they were able to make sure that Sean Mannion was not going to rise up from the dead like Tyler Huntley or Baker Mayfield for that matter. I realize Baker isn't a back backup, but he might as well be at this point of his career. The Green Bay Packers now have the one seed thanks to the Dallas Cowboys looking like what I've seen from the Dallas Cowboys all year. People started to worry about the Dallas Cowboys and I was like, all right, let's see them against a real team. Let's see how they'll play against a real team. They gave up 20 five points. They did not look good against Kyler Murray. This defense that was vaunted and scary, all of a sudden you realize the teams they had played and it suddenly looks like the Dallas Cowboys were frauds that were propped up by the national media. I'm shocked that people who can't keep not falling for this every time a public team gets good see the Los Angeles Lakers. Then also you had on the other side of it, the Kansas City Chiefs who have been hot as fuck. They've been playing great football. Everybody's like, the Chiefs are back. The Chiefs are like the new version of the Patriots. Your boy said that last week. 
And what happens? They get smacked in the mouth by Cincinnati and give up 34 points. And Jamar Chase goes absolutely nuts on them. So how am I supposed to look at the Chiefs and take them seriously? Now, some haters could say, well, Charlie, the Green Bay Packers did this against Sean fucking Mannion. Let's see them play a real quarterback. You're right. The Green Bay Packers have not faced a real quarterback since Matt Safford. That is absolutely fair, and it is a real concern heading into the postseason. I'm not going to debate that with you guys. But at the same time, I still am going to look at this and say Green Bay is the best team in football, and if they do not get to the Super Bowl, it will be a massive disappointment. It will be a bigger disappointment than really any other year. Maybe that 2011 team, but even that 2011 team, that offense was incredible, but man, we were all worried about that defense. Everybody you talked to was worried about that defense. Basically, the thought process was we had to outscore everybody in order to win the Super Bowl and go back to back. So this is set up for the Green Bay Packers. The road is in front of them. Chris Collinsworth, I thought eloquently put that at the end of it, and he is absolutely right. I think this team knows it. I think this team senses it. And there is just something different. It's it's hard to explain, but if you've watched this team and you compare it to last year, you compare it to the year before, they are just firing on all cylinders. I mean, the Aaron Rodgers-Devontae Adams connection has never been stronger. Aaron Rodgers has not had a receiver as good as Devontae Adams. And the way that those two can play football together is a thing of beauty. It's absolutely masterpiece theater type shit. And if you don't appreciate it, you don't like fucking football. That's just simple as that. And then you have the run game that's basically a smash and dash. They had the graphic of Aaron Jones just killing it on the outside, basically taking a lot of the runs that we saw from Baltimore, uh, Chicago, Cleveland, and now implementing into the Packers offense. Very savvy move by Hackett, LaFleur, Getze, the whole gang there. And then you had A.J. Dillon up the middle, and nobody wants to tackle A.J. Dillon in the cold. I saw Kurt Hogg, new father, congrats to Kurt, have the, uh, I think it was a clip from Elvin Gentry who said, what do people say, one, two, three, Cancun, about Vikings defenders. And it was so true because none of those guys wanted to tackle A.J. Dillon as the game wore on. And that is what we're going to see going forward. This team is built for the cold. I, I know part of my take, they don't really like the Packers, mostly Big Cat. And they were like, well, this Packer team isn't built for the cold. And I was like, no, this is actually the first Packer team, maybe since the 90s, since the Favre Packers, that is actually built for the cold. That's built for the frozen tundra because the way they can run the football. And the Packers have a real chance to get healthy. I don't really want to talk about Zadarius Smith, Jair Alexander, David Bakhtiari until they're there. It's kind of like a, I'll believe it when I see it. I just want to see those guys activated. Once they're activated, we can have a real conversation about their impact. But the fact that that still exists, the fact that Josh Myers potentially could come back, that Randall Cobb could also come back, this Green Bay Packer team could get healthy at the right time and be even more dominant than they already are. You add all those pieces, yes, that could disrupt chemistry a little bit, but I don't know how much it's changing. If Zadarius Smith is seeing a ton of snaps and you're rotating him in and keeping a guy like Rashawn Gary, who's probably played the most football that he has ever had in his life, keeping him fresh, keeping Preston Smith fresh, and making sure that 
Now you have a third guy to the mix or having all three of them in at the same time and putting less pressure on guys like Devondre Campbell and Chris Barnes. Like they are going to be dominant in that front seven with Sedaria Smith if he does in fact come back. Jerry Alexander, it's the same thing. They have so many secondary options now that they can use. Kevin King has been really a welcoming surprise kind of roving around. Like he made a couple nice plays in this game. I'm not saying you're going to see every big play from Kevin King, but there's more stuff from Kevin King that's out there. You can rotate him in. You can rotate Chandon Sullivan, J.R. Alexander, Eric Stokes, Russell Douglas. Like that's a really good defensive backfield. And we haven't even mentioned Adrian Amos or Darnell Savage. Darnell Savage, yeah, has had a, had a few issues here and there, but this Green Bay Packer team looks like a juggernaut. They have the feel of the juggernaut, and I think people do not want to admit to themselves that the Green Bay Packers are clearly the best team in football. I, I like Look, I don't think the Green Bay Packers would have struggled the way the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did with the New York Jets. I realize it's any given Sunday type shit. I realize the thing that happened with Antonio Brown, but I'm sorry. They did not look impressive in that game, and they had to pull it out of their ass. Dallas, we already went over. The Rams also had to pull a game out of their ass. Now, we know about pulling games out of our ass in Baltimore, but going back to the the point I made earlier, like we dominated that football game. That was a game that the Green Bay Packers had in full control pretty much from the jump, and it took, a again, a little bit of a pull-it-out-your-ass just to the final play. Not necessarily the whole game. The Rams looked dead. They were lucky to win that football game. And if Tyler Huntley was a little bit better in the red zone, I think Baltimore comes away a winner. They didn't, so they lost, and the Rams were able to win. So no one was really impressive in the NFC. Maybe Philadelphia coming back from 16-7 to against the Washington football team. But again, how serious can I take Philadelphia? They got waxed by Tampa Bay. They got waxed by Dallas earlier this season. Am I really supposed to believe that this Eagles team can actually contend against the big boys that can level up? I do worry about the way Philadelphia runs the ball against the Green Bay Packers. They seem like a team that could give the Packers fits. I wouldn't bet the Eagles, I wouldn't bet the Packers, let's say minus nine against the Eagles. I just wouldn't. I think that would be a reckless move. But I do think that when the chips are down, Jalen Hurts is going to make a mistake and he is not probably playoff ready. I'd be very surprised if the Eagles were even able to get out of round one. So that's where I look at this and I say, I don't know who's stopping the Green Bay Packers. Tampa has injuries. They were did not have injuries last year. The Los Angeles Rams, I don't know if I could trust Matt Stafford in one playoff game. I will be very nervous to even bet with Matt Stafford in one playoff game. Matt Stafford hasn't won a playoff game for a reason. It's not just Detroit. It's also him. The Arizona Cardinals, yeah, they had a great win today, but is that was that just they caught Dallas at the right time and they, they were in a must-win scenario and the hungry dog ran faster? And Kyler Murray did not want to let down his people in Dallas where he had a tons of fans. And he said, I don't want to experience a loss here. Was that part of the reason? Um, San Francisco, I really kind of was nervous about them earlier. But Trey Lance, I mean, he kind of figured it out late and got it done and actually covered the spread somehow. And the Texans were lifeless. But yeah, San Francisco, again, I, I can't trust that. So it all comes down to the road is clearly in front of the Green Bay Packers. 
Now, any given Sunday, things can happen. Packers could lose a game, and I'll be catatonic. I will be so disappointed, and I realize that I'm setting myself up for potential failure. I realize that I'm setting myself up for potentially a just devastating loss, but I have so much confidence in this team that I can't do anything other than say, pull my chest and say, we're going to the Super Bowl and we're going to win it. This is different than the Bucks, where it was a little bit unexpected and all of a sudden as this kind of built and all of a sudden you, the winds kept piling up and you're like, holy shit, this team can do it. Like we can beat Brooklyn, we're not afraid. I don't even think there's a team right now that I am worried about for the Green Bay Packers. And it could all come crashing down. And if it does, we'll just figure it out. We, we, we've done it every year. As I think Mitch said, it's the life of a Packer fan. But this team is built for Lambeau. And we have not had that since 96. And that's what could be the difference. And the fact that there really isn't a team that's on our level. We it's one of one, just like Devontae Adams as a wide receiver. He's not two tay, like he is number one. He's the number one guy. Aaron Rodgers, the number one guy for the MVP. Sometimes you just have the best team. And I talked about how Pack fans needed to be confident last year. Don't think it's as much of an issue this year, but it reinforces it. You should be confident. You should feel good. You should say it with your chest. There is no one on the Packers fucking level. Moving on to star ratings, I don't have a lot of negativity about this game. I really don't. I don't have a lot of things where I, I say, all right, the pack, this guy played awful because I, I don't. I have a two-star and a one-star that are pretty, I wouldn't say rudimentary, but they're they're not necessarily like full-on two one-stars that like I have, one, I have some real sticking points as I've had in the last few weeks. Um, if you're unfamiliar, you're a first-time listener, or if you only listen a few times, these star ratings go from five to one. Talk about the best things that happen and the worst things that happen in the pack room. I have three five stars. We start with Aaron Rodgers. Very good game from Aaron Rodgers. His last tape for the MVP resume. Aaron Rodgers, since week one of the NFL season and the New Orleans disaster, Rodgers has 35 touchdowns and two interceptions. Someone who can work that ratio for me, that's pretty fucking good. The guy has been head and shoulders above everybody else in his in his field, and he deserves to get another MVP for the way that he's been playing. It's been a year where no one has really taken that award, and I think Rodgers, being sort of the tortoise, if you will, has just sort of slowly, steadily progged along and, and shown why he belongs at the top of that throne. Now, could Aaron Rodgers get derailed by people getting on their high horse about COVID? Potentially. And we might have to have a conversation about that when the articles start coming out. Because they will. Because people are going to talk about how they can't vote for Aaron Rodgers because of his COVID misinformation and all that bullshit. None of that actually happens on the fucking football field. And if you just look at what happens on the football field, it's Aaron Rodgers and it's nobody even close to him. He played great tonight. He was so in sync with Devontae Adams, who's also a five-star candidate. Devontae was great this evening. 11 catches, 136 yards, and a touchdown. He did his best to try to close the gap in a fantasy matchup, which I lost, uh, But which I appreciate for Rodgers and Adams themselves. Uh, but yeah, Adams was incredible tonight. I mean, the guy 
continues to just impress me every day. I I, I really I think one of my friends said in a group chat that Devontae is the best player to watch in the league. I apologize to whichever Tosa bro said that, but I I, I think it's it, he is. He's so much fun to watch. He's so enjoyable to watch his craft and him just dust defensive backs left and right. And I think Devontae Adams, if you talk about who is the scariest player left in the NFL, NFC playoffs that is not a quarterback, it has to be Adams. It has to be Adams. It, there, there isn't anyone close. Maybe Aaron Donald, but I, I actually, can I, can I say something here? Like, I think Aaron Donald's a little overrated. And maybe it's because the Packers have an awesome playbook against Aaron Donald. But, like, Aaron Donald has played the Packers a couple times recently. And he has not done a damn thing. Like, Aaron Donald wrecked shit about everybody else. But apparently not against the Green Bay Packers. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I don't get it. I don't get why everyone would say Aaron Donald. I think there would be people who would maybe mention, Micah Parsons would be another name that people would be, like, scariest guy to deal with that isn't isn't a quarterback. It'd be a great topic, actually. So if one of the national guys want to steal that, feel free. But I think it's Devontae Adams. Just the way he's playing right now is on another level. And there'll be a lot of talk that Cooper Cup, you know, is that top receiver this year because he has the receiving trouble crown. But again, I, what does that even mean? It just means that he is Stafford's security blanket. He is the fucking, he's, he's the blanket that Linus holds and sucks his thumb. That's basically Stafford with Cooper Cup. And that's why Cooper Cup gets all the love. But in reality, man, I don't know. I wouldn't draft Cooper Cup over Devontae Adams if we had like a fantasy draft and we're like, who are you going to draft? It's probably actually Jamar Chase because he's 21 years old. But it's Jamar Chase. It's Devontae Adams. I don't know if I put Justin Jefferson above Cooper Cup, maybe. But like, I just look at Devontae and he's clearly the best receiver in football and it's not really close. Lastly, the Packer running attack, the one-two punch that Green Bay showed today, to me was a warning sign to the rest of the NFL. Because I think Aaron Jones was probably a little more hurt than he let on. Remember, Aaron Jones got hurt in the Seattle game and was crying and I think he sprained his MCL in that game. And he, did he even miss a week or did he play against the Rams? I think he did play against the Rams. Like Aaron Jones came back pretty quickly in that one and came back and, you know, obviously still was making differences in the last week, last four weeks, but it could be real possible that Aaron Jones was hurt throughout that entire thing and was kind of bothered by that knee and hampering, hampered by it. Cause this was the first game where he looked kind of shot out of cannon. He looked like sort of the guy that I think we all expect to see every week. So if you're getting a healthy Aaron Jones down the stretch, combined with A.J. Dillon being a battering ramp, really hard to deal with on top of all the Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams stuff that we just talked about. These guys are really special. Reading somebody say A.J. Dillon is what we hoped Saquon Barkley would be, talking as a Giants fan, was just like holy shit like you guys drafted him second and everybody thought aj dillon was an awful pick which we'll get to in a second here um aj dillon man has been so impressive and i know it probably is going to mean aaron jones is on the move next year i think that's kind of where we're headed unfortunately but he's he's been a joy to watch he's easily a fan favorite i think with just his attitude and his demeanor and just his love of Door County, I think, all endears so many fans. 
And I know Aaron Jones did a lot too. And I think he might be up for Walter Payton Man of the Year as well. So like, I'm not saying Aaron Jones is some slouch, some guy like he's like AB, like tirades and all that shit. No, it's just, I think AJ Dillon has really sort of established himself as the guy. And we'll see that as, as the years go on. I, I think maybe one more year of this, and then we'll probably see, see just Dylan be the guy. Four stars. I got to give Joe Barry a lot of credit. Joe Barry changed up some things from last week. I think we were all very critical of what happened against Cleveland. Is it seemed like basically what, what they did was similar to what Baltimore did and what Chicago did. Joe Barry got a little extra time and he started to cook. And one of the things he did, which was really sort of simple, was he flipped Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary. So Rashawn Gary was on the right side in this one, Preston Smith on the left side, and it really seemed to work. And I don't really know why that was such a difference maker, why that sealed the edge, why that was a, why they were able to basically shut down the run. Because I know Delvin Cook only touched the ball 12 times, and he had 13 yards, I think, total. Like, he was terrible in this game. And part of that, though, was the Packers' defense. The Packers' defense made the necessary adjustments. And I think that says a lot about Barry this whole season. Whenever it seems like we have some wavering thoughts about the Packer defense, we're like, oh, here we go again. It's Packer defense. It stinks. Like, it comes through, man. Like, think about that Rams game. I know they gave up 28 points. They had a huge pick six, and a lot of that was garbage time stuff. A lot of that was probably a little too soft prevent defense late. That that was an awesome defensive game after they got smoked by Minnesota. And then they got smoked by Chicago in the first half, partly due to special teams, self-inflicted wounds. Then the second half, like Chicago didn't do shit. So I, I, I do think like Joe Barry sometimes gets a bad rap for not adjusting enough. I know I'm sometimes critical of it. And I think tonight was a good reminder that they do do a lot from an adjustment standpoint. And Barry did a hell of a job with this one and hopefully to sign of things to come. Other four stars, Preston Smith. I, speaking about Barry, I thought Preston Smith played his ass off today. It's going to be really hard to part ways with Smith, which is probably what they're going to have to do in terms of if they want to keep Rodgers and Adams next year. And man, that he, he's been so good this year. He's won above and beyond. I feel like this has been his best season as a Green Bay Packers player. Uh, just, you know, he's had to be the dude because Zarius Smith was out. It was always Zadarius and Preston. It was Preston as the guy, and he's shown his way as the top dog slash edge rusher for this fo- this football team. And it continued in this one. Played really well. Um, and and should should have got mentioned for the Pro Bowl. Just like Rashawn Gary, just like Devondre Campbell. All those guys deserve to be in that Pro Bowl, even if they weren't playing because the Packers be in L.A. waiting the Super Bowl. Alan Lazard's my other one. Alan Lazard... I'll tell you what, like, and I know this is very, um, like, NFL analyst. I'll tell you what, that Alan Lazard, but, but like, he's a number two wide receiver. Like, he is a definite number two wide receiver. And one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago, when Randall Cobb goes out with that core injury, we're like, somebody has to step up and be the dude. Because Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Lazard and Josiah DeGuro were all pretty quiet. Like it was really Adams, Cobb, 
and Rodgers and a little bit of big dog, a little bit of the running game, you know, out of the backfield catching passes, but that was it. And they needed somebody to step up and Alan Lazard has approached that role. Six catches, 72 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown was absolutely absurd. He caught that at the top, which works out well as that's Lazard's uh, clothing company. But yeah, he played really well in this one. And I just, I think he's, he can have a real chance to be a guy. I don't know if he can be a number one, but he is definitely a number two for a solid team. And I trust Lazard probably on par with anybody. Like he, like I know we talk about Aaron Rodgers trust, but there's also like fan trust, right? Like you have, there has to be a level of like, oh yeah, this guy, this guy can do it for us. But yeah. Lazard has really just come on strong here in the last last few games. This is now his third straight. Oh no, not third straight. It's his three out of the last four. He's had 40 or more yards. He's also had four or more targets in the last four or last five. I mean, he's he's playing well. Three three touchdowns in the last four games. A lot of good stuff from Lazard, and hopefully it continues into the postseason. Three stars. I have one. It is my guy, David Moore. David Moore had a positive punt return for the Green Bay Packers. David Moore should be just built a statue for the way he played as the punt returner. That was the best punt returning I've seen in a full calendar year. Now, I saw a snarky tweet from Zach Krause where it was like, David Moore was just sitting there. And like, I get it. I like Zach, but it's like, you do realize that sometimes it's about what you need on your 53-man roster and where is the level of importance. And we might need to keep a guy because of COVID or because, you know, this guy's hurt. And we need to make sure we have enough warm bodies in case, like, the catastrophic thing happens. Probably the last thing on Green Bay's mind was to get a returner because they had Amari Rodgers. They had, had enough there. And now they have David Moore, and I don't think Amari Rodgers is going to be seeing the football field for the rest of the year. David Moore looked the part. He, you know, kind of stepped up in that moment, had a nice return, and just caught the football. That's all you can ask. And I don't know if we'll see David Moore on the actual field. He is a pretty. He, I mean, he caught six touchdowns last year for the Seahawks. So wouldn't surprise me if the Packers try to work in more next week against the Lions. I think Juwan Winfrey. Deserve some reps as well. We'll see. Um, and I know Devontae Adams wanted to play next week, but we'll and we'll talk about that. That's a good topic for the for later this week. And I'm sure we'll know more as Matt LaFleur talks to media this week. But yeah, I I think Moore definitely deserves uh, a lot of credit for what he did. And I look forward to having a competent punt returner for the playoffs. Two stars. Chris Morrison for faking a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers MVP debate for first take and everybody else. Morrison, obviously a legend, okay? I, I, we don't need to go any further there. We don't need all the superlatives. You guys know this. I know this. But the guy trying to be like, Tom Brady is the most valuable person, and he the way he played today, he nudged his way back into the MVP race. What? Tom Brady beat the Jets by four and needed a fourth down play to do it. Like, Tom Brady nearly lost to the fucking Jets on the road. Like, I don't care that the that Antonio Brown had his meltdown middle of the game. Doesn't fucking matter. You're Tom Brady. 
you're on the road, you should be able to beat the Jets. Any, really, a lot of teams should. And I realize the Jets are coming on strong. I realize that the Jets are kind of playing with a little bit of piss to end the year. And they're feeling good. But still, like, how can you even say that Tom Brady, you know, had an MVP-like day? Like, fuck all the way off with that. They were down by two scores in this one. The Buccaneers looked like the Buccaneers have looked on the road the last whole year. They just seemed to not be able to get it going until late. Remember, they were down multiple scores to Indianapolis before turning on the afterburners and winning that football game. They easily could have lost both that game and the Jets game. And while they play in a garbage division so they'd still win the title, they could be locked into the four seed. Instead, they've gotten bailed out a couple times by having the best quarterback in of, the, of our generation play behind center. Maybe not the best. I don't know. That, 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 that's when you get into the Brady Rogers stuff and everything like that. But yeah, let's not fake, let's not do fake MVP debates. It's Rogers, all right? If you want to give it to Tom Brady because it's an anti-COVID thing and Tom Brady, you know, good teammate, all this stuff for the commentary on Antonio Brown. And, and really quick on that, now that I'm riffing, I'm riffing a little bit, I'll bet. I appreciate what Brady said and said it's a really serious situation and please use compassion and everything like that. You brought this on yourself, dude. Like, you're the reason Antonio Brown is here. And you can't control your guy. You can't tell your guy to settle down. Brady's like, I didn't see it happen. I didn't know what was going on. Like, I realize quarterbacks do a lot of, like, scheming, a lot of conversation with their coordinators, all this shit. And you're telling me, though, that Tom Brady, and maybe it was while they were, but no, Mike Evans was there. So, yeah, it wasn't when they were on offense. Antonio Brown has been is an awful human being. He's one of the worst in football. People excused his behavior because Tom Brady was his friend. That's basically it, right? And it's like you're a friend of yours who has a drinking problem. And he, he or she might tell you they have a drinking problem. But you excuse it. You let it go. You're okay with it. And then they finally do something that's like beyond reproach. And then you have to backpedal and be like, well, please like show sympathy. And you do because that's just who you are. But you have to, you cannot recognize that you you kind of elevated this. You made this happen because you kept promoting, you know, that lifestyle. And I think Brady put Brown on a pedestal and Brown thought he could do no wrong. And then he completely loses it. Whether it's a mental health thing or something else, I don't know. But he he's just an enigma, man. And he probably shouldn't be in football for some of the shit he did. But that's life. You know, bad guys get to... Get to experience things too, unfortunately. Last last one star. So two one stars here. Actual football talk. First quarter offense continues to be a joke for the Packers. I don't know how much money the Packers have cost our friend National Media Murph and with first quarter bets. He's also first quarter Murph. He's also Florida Murph. Uh, so this is, this is more first quarter Murph. First quarter Murph has to be destroyed by the Packers. So the Packers, his favorite team, has to cost them so much money because of the way that they have been just pathetic in the first quarter. They need to get better on that. I do worry that at some point a slow start could bite you in the ass come playoff time. I hope that's not the case. But 
it's it's something that just bothers me. It's it, it would be nice to just start out fourteen nothing or ten nothing and feel pretty damn good about where the Packers are at the end of a first quarter. They were doing that a lot last year. Um, this this year, it seems like it takes one one quarter for them to sort of turn it on. And I don't know if that's maybe a lack of practice or if that's just the play calling's bad and Lafleur needs to get in the zone, kind of get a feel for who he's going up against. Or if someone else is writing the script this year and they're doing a bad job, I don't know. It's just not been it's not been as crisp as the, as the last few years, I mean, especially in that first quarter. Also, another one-star shot to PFF. You know, PFF, I, I, Pro Football Focus, I don't use it as much if you're unfamiliar with the acronym. But they had something about Happy New Year. The, we're going to see guys in new uniforms. And it was a Photoshop of Rodgers in a Broncos uniform and Adams in a Chargers uniform. They also said, could Adams come back to his hometown? Where it's like, no, the dude's from the fucking Bay. If he's going to go home, it'd be San Francisco. And and then they also had you know an awesome A.J. Dillon take back in the day when, when the draft pick was made. This is what Pro Football Focus said about Dillon. These guys who give themselves their own draft grades. No one smells their own farts more than PFF. Here's what PFF said about A.J. Dillon. Oh boy, A.J. Dillon was the first player drafted who wasn't even on the PFF big board. It wasn't because we forgot about him or that he wasn't that good. It was simply because his skill set is acronostic for today's NFL. Basically saying he plays an archaic way of playing football. And for those who can't understand my pronunciation, which I'm sure I butchered. Like, go fuck yourselves. Like, just, I mean, talk about a group of people. Especially just with the way they said it, too. Talk about a group of people that just inhale their own farts more than PFF. There is not, maybe John Harbaugh and Sean McVay. But, man, those guys, that's just just a tough scene, man. Just a tough scene for the PFF group. And they continue to be just a weird, weird group. Weird blend. Uh, probably not going to get me a job or an interview with any of those guys anytime soon if they uh, listen back to the podcast. All right, that does it for star ratings. Let me know if there's anybody I missed. Uh, you can hit me up on the socials, Tapping the Keg on Twitter or Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram. Uh, we'll also post it on TikTok. We always usually do these as a breakout, so you can look for that also too on Tapping the Keg Sports on that one as well. All right, let's move on to basketball. So the Green Bay Packers were not the only team playing this weekend. The Milwaukee Bucks were in action. They dominated 136 to 116 over the New Orleans Pelicans. Giannis had a triple-double, had one of the best stat lines you'll see from a guy with 30-plus points, 15-plus rebounds, and 10-plus assists. Uh, he's the first guy to do it, I think, for the Bucks since the 70s. Uh, just, you know, day at the office for Antetokounmpo. He had a dagger three, uh, pulled up, and then did a shimmy shake. It was awesome. The Just the whole performance, from be honest, was out of this world. He is such a joy to watch, and it's a continued reason on why every game really is must-see TV for the Bucks. Yeah, they're playing the Pistons tonight, but it's still 
sit down and watch a couple quarters because you might get something awesome from Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bucks won six straight. They continue to get their fill of cupcakes. They just played Orlando twice. They played New Orleans. Now they play Detroit. Uh, the Bucks are eating well against those teams. They're doing well and thriving. Uh, and a fun fact that I had that I actually didn't know, I looked it up mostly for the Bulls because I looked at the Bulls' schedule and they play Orlando tonight. Then they play Washington again on Friday. I'm like, the Bulls play anybody good ever. And so I was like, okay, who has a worse strength of schedule, the Bucks or the Bulls? Because right now the Bulls are leading the the NBA Central uh, Division. And I looked at it, and actually the Bucks have had the easiest schedule so far this season. Does that worry me about Milwaukee's chances going forward? No, not really. I actually think it's it'll be good for the Bucks to play the hardest schedule remaining down the stretch because. That just gets you playoff ready. They're going to be playoff-like atmospheres starting on Friday night against Brooklyn. So I'm not really worried that the Bucs have played the easiest schedule. I feel like looking at the record, it's it, it could be a little bit better, but they had the COVID stuff. They had a bunch of injuries to start the year. So they lost a couple games that they shouldn't have. And that's that's basketball. That's an 82-game season. It all washes out at the end. The Bucs are going to play some teams that might have some COVID wipeouts or might have a bunch of injuries and they get that team at the right time too. So it's it's not mutually exclusive to just the Milwaukee Bucks. There are, this can happen to other teams as well. So you look at the Bulls and you're like, okay, Bulls have the fourth easiest schedule so far and then down the stretch they have the fourth hardest. Uh, the Bucks being the hardest, the Bulls a little, little less hard, but we'll see what the Bulls are all about down the stretch i'm not ready to buy into this bulls team they easily could have lost their last two games in a beat beat up indiana team and washington team and you could be talking about a bulls team that's actually trailing the bucks right now but demar Derozan hit two big shots and there you have it uh, first guy in nba history to hit back-to-back buzzer beaters I'm telling you this is not sustainable in the late game i know how good Derozan has been in late games but this is not like a Kawhi leonard thing where he comes to a team and completely changes it i do think there will be some real conversation about demar Derozan for mvp as crazy as that sounds i i think we're a month from like the mvp conversation actually happening but yeah i mean he's playing well i can't discredit what i've seen from demar Derozan. all i'm saying is i don't know how sustainable the bulls are I don't know if this is going to be a team that actually lasts. I I can definitely see a mid, mid-year mid losing streak from them, whether it's the schedule, whether it's you know the guys that are injured, COVID, whatever. But yeah, I it's going to happen at some point. The, the Bills are the Bulls. The Bulls are going to get their comeuppance. As for the week that is for the Milwaukee Bucks, we kind of touched on it a little bit that they play Detroit tonight. Again, just take care of business. Detroit won a buzzer beater on Saturday night. So they're going to be feeling a little good. They'll feel It's rare that I think that Detroit even has a win. So, so they'll be feeling a little bit good about themselves. But yeah, the Bucks have dominated the Pistons earlier this year. I would expect nothing different. Then they have Toronto on Wednesday, who they owe. They lost the game, game against Toronto where they didn't have Giannis Antetokounmpo. I was the last second one. It was a pretty ugly effort from the Bucks all around. Toronto always does give Milwaukee fits. Hopefully, they will have a full roster and be able to pound uh, the Raptors on Wednesday night at home. Then they head out to play Brooklyn on Friday night. ESPN, huge game. Um, 
the Nets has have not really seemed to beat a good team all year. Nets have have had one of the easiest schedules as well uh, to start this season. So I'll be very curious to a see the crowd because of all the COVID stuff that's going on. I don't know if they're gonna limit the crowd capacity. I hope not. I hope we're gonna get a full crowd. And two, you know, what's that? What's the energy gonna be like? How is it gonna be different? The the Nets and Bucks haven't met since Game One of the NBA season where the Bucks absolutely put them into the ground. We'll see if something similar will happen or if the Nets come out victorious and then you have a brutal back-to-back headed to Charlotte the next night. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a Giannis rest night. I realize Giannis has had a lot of rest because of COVID, because of some injuries, but I would I would think that could be a game that you might sit him four games in six nights. It's pretty tough for the Bucks. So yeah, ton of Bucks basketball for you. Really happy for me as someone as a content creator. Should have a lot of a lot of opportunities to uh, talk about the Bucks this week. We'll see if they can get it done. Moving on to Marquette and my advice for Shaka Smart. So I think you would assume if you watched the Marquette game on Saturday morning. If, unless you were nursing a hangover, watching the bowl games. Marquette lost in double overtime because Shock Smart did not follow up three with three seconds to go and then made like a Jason Kidd excuse about why they didn't follow because he's like, well, a side out, jumper, yada, yada. It was bad. It's really a brutal excuse for Shock Smart. So you think my life advice, shout out to Rosillo, would be, hey, just follow up three. All right, lesson learned. Let's not let it happen again. It's going to be okay. No, my advice for Shaka is that he needs to figure out what's going on at halftime and why this team is coming out so sluggish. Marquette, Peyton touches it a good good look at this about how Marquette has really put themselves in a hole in almost every second half of a meaningful game. They're four and six against the power power schools thus far, which is pretty good actually for for what Marquette was supposed to be this season, I'm surprised not two and eight. So they played pretty well against the top dogs. That said, in those games, Marquette still trailed by double digits in games that they won. They have to fix this. This is not a sustainable thing. You cannot keep doing this and expect to win. And yeah, you almost pulled that Creighton one out, but I'm telling you, you'll get smacked to the mouth this way. So if I am Shaka Smart, if Shaka Smart's coming to me and saying, Charlie, you've looked at the film, what could we do to better ourselves? I would say, Shaka, look at your lineups when you start making the comeback. Look at who's out on the floor. Look who's playing a role in guiding the comeback. Those guys would be the ones that I play right away. Those are the guys that I play out the shoot in in the second half. That's that's the dude. Those are the dudes. All right. Like those are your guys that you use. And if you're like, well, it's different guys, whatever. It's like, all right. Well, then roll, combination. Roll these guys in. Shaka Smart's biggest downfall so far this season is he's not been able to find the right combination for Marquette. And I think once he does, they can be pretty good. They can be a little bit better than what we've seen in the last few weeks. But yeah, Marquette's own four to start the Big East. Again, the expectations were not supposed to be high. And I think because Marquette has won some of these games, it soured other fans, which, look, it happens. It happens. All of a sudden, you actually have expectations, and you're like, okay, I want to see it. And the three-point, that was such a brutal way to lose, man. And I think there was a lot of frustration from the Marquette fan base. 
and they let it out. And I would say just hold your water, man. Don't don't get too wound up. Now, this Providence team that's coming into town tomorrow is very good. Very, very good. They're going to be top 15 team. So the gauntlet doesn't stop for Marquette. I think people were like, oh, you got to go to St. John's, and then the gauntlet stops. It's like, nope, you have Providence here. And that's a team that could easily beat Marquette again. And Marquette could be 0-5. And a lot of people are going to be upset about it. But I just think Shaka needs to come out with a better plan in the second half. And I think it just starts with his lineups. I think his lineups have been trash. And as long as he, if he fixes that and you see more fight for Marquette, then maybe I can be pretty accepting about a 0-5 Big East start for the Golden Eagles. All right, that does it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk Bucks. Sure, we'll maybe dive into that Packer stardom situm debate that I sure everybody will have. Um, we'll get into that. Mitch and I will do a podcast on I think Tuesday. <coughs> maybe, pardon me, maybe Thursday. Uh, but prob- most likely, you can expect Mitch and I to get in the booth on Tuesday. It'll be our last show together. For a while, because I'll be going to Hawaii next week. Um, more to come on that. I don't know. I was trying to think if I could put together some just prepackaged shit. I might to just be like, all right, here, here's this, here's that. I've said that before, and then I don't do it. I think it's because it's like I'm talking a ton, right? And it's like be a good time to like actually have some guests on and talk to them, and you know, then roll it out. You know, as like a playoff preview, things like that. So who knows? Maybe. Maybe I'll get into that. As for Mitch, I'm going to give him the keys to the car. I'm going to probably tell him I'd, I'd like a podcast. But if he doesn't have any any ideas or doesn't have a guest, um, certainly could pass. And maybe I'll be able to find a guest. We'll see. Um, I'll try to maybe work on that and see if we can start having some guests on shows because I'd, I'd like that. Um, it, it would save me from all the talking um, <laughs> for some of these shows. So definitely look forward to that. Um, let me know too. Um, I, I've asked, I think I've asked this question before, but let me know if you guys like a little bit of basketball at the tail end of a football podcast, or if I should have just saved all the basketball for, uh, Monday. Cause I would have talked a lot more about the bulls, the soft schedule, the, you know, everything. And, and maybe, I, maybe that's something that we look at next this year and say, all right, let's keep them separated and try to stick to one sport if possible. There's some days though, it's just crazy and it's inevitable that you're going to talk about, you know, five things It is what it is. So I don't know. Let me know if you guys want to see basketball, football separated, or if you don't mind them all being together. All right. That does it for today's show. Rate, review, subscribe. I know I told you that before. Please do. Socials, tapping the keg on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, tapping the keg on Twitter. So follow me on those. Um, I will promise you they're more than me just screaming into a phone yelling game review. It's a little bit a little bit more. It's, a, it's an elevated experience, shall we say. All right, that does it for today's show. Back tomorrow. See you then. All right, bye.